1: It's one of our greatest fears, waking up in a small confined space under 6 feet of dirt. During the 18th and 19th centuries, safety coffins were manufactured with bells attached to let passersbyers know if someone had been accidentally interred. Testing whether someone had passed on or not wasn't entirely scientific. It usually involved putting pepper and vinegar in the person's mouth or poking their feet with hot pokers. But no amount of testing was enough for Hannah Beswick, nor was a safety coffin Beswick, like many folk living during the middle of the 18th century, had a pathological fear of accidentally being buried alive. It was kind of a problem, too. Thousands of people were buried alive in England and Wales during the 17 and 1800s. She didn't want to go through that in the event of her possible death, and with good reason. A number of years before she died, Hannah witnessed the loss of her brother. Or so she thought. She, along with the other mourners, watched as the lid was lowered over his coffin until someone saw his eyelids flicker. The family physician, Charles White, stepped in and examined the man and determined that he was not, in fact, dead. Hannah's brother awoke several days later, seemingly no worse for wear. But the young Miss Beswick was certainly affected. She consulted with Dr. White and asked him to make sure that she was never buried prematurely if she happened to pass away without warning. And this is where the details surrounding her last will and testament get a bit vague. As far as we know, she didn't explicitly ask Dr. White to do anything except keep her from going into the ground too soon. And so the good doctor took that to heart. When Hannah passed away in 1758, he made sure that her body was nowhere near a coffin or a gravesite. Instead, he had her embalmed. A mixture of turpentine and vermilion were injected into her veins, while camphor, nitra, and resin were put in place of her organs. Her body was then coated in fragrant oils, and the box she was stored in was filled with plaster of Paris to preserve her. By this point, Hannah Beswick was dead. There was no doubt about that. But she couldn't be placed in the ground yet. Rather, her corpse was held at the home of a family member before Dr. White took possession of her body. He put it on display in a clock case inside of his own house. She remained there until his death in 1813, at which point the late Miss Beswick was transferred to another doctor by the name of Ollier, who donated her in 1828 to the up-and-coming Museum of the Manchester Natural History Society. Placed right inside the museum's entrance, Hannah became known as the Manchester Mummy and was placed next to an Egyptian and a Peruvian mummy. She became a big hit with visitors and the press, as there were several articles written about her after she entered the museum. The facility was eventually taken over by Manchester University in 1867, at which point it was decided that Hannah Beswick was officially dead. There was no chance of her coming alive anymore, and so it was time to lay her to rest. But it wasn't as simple as just placing her in a coffin and lowering her into the ground. According to an English law put in place in 1837, a medical examiner had to issue a certificate of death before a person could be buried. Since Hannah had died in 1758, a letter was sent to the Secretary of State, asking for permission to inter her remains. Permission was swiftly granted, and on July 22nd of 1868, Hannah Beswick was buried in an unmarked grave in a Manchester cemetery. She was 110 years old. Some claimed to see her ghost, clad in a black silk gown and a white cap, walking through the parlor of her old home. She was even spotted on the grounds after the house was torn down to make room for a factory. Hannah Beswick had a pathological fear of being buried alive, but her ghost never left. Maybe it wasn't about spending her final moments confined to a small box under six feet of dirt. Maybe she just had a really bad case of FOMO.
2: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
1: Running a marathon is no small feat. It takes months of practice, running almost every day and building up stamina until you're able to endure a full 26.2-mile journey from start to finish. The average time it takes to complete a marathon is anywhere from four to five hours. The fastest time ever taken to complete one was back in 2018 when Eliud Kapchogi from Kenya won the Berlin Marathon in just two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. But what about the slowest marathon? I mean, sure, someone out there must hold the world record for the longest time ever taken to reach the finish line, right? For that, we need to look no further than Shizu Kanakuri. Shizu was born in Nagomi Kumamoto, Japan, in 1891. He started setting records when he was only 20 years old, most notably at the domestic qualifying trials for the 1912 Stockholm Olympics. Shizu finished a 25-mile marathon in just 2 hours, 32 minutes, and 45 seconds. Because of his performance, he became the first Japanese athlete to ever qualify for the Olympics. His fellow college classmates held a fundraiser to help him pay for his travel expenses to Sweden. And he did get there. Eventually. It took 18 days, first by ship and then by Trans-Siberian Railway. It was an immense journey, one that required almost a week to recover. But on the day of the event, Shizu was ready. He held the weight and expectations of an entire nation on his shoulders a pressure only exacerbated by the 77-degree Swedish heat. Between the travel and the weather changes, most of the runners came down with hypothermia. Even Kanakuri's own coach was beset with tuberculosis, so he wasn't able to train properly before the race. Regardless of his setbacks, though, Shizu was at the starting line on race day, and he took off running. He had the opportunity to not only set a new world record by winning this event, but also be the first Japanese competitor to win a gold medal at the Olympics. Hours after the race began, though, the first runner started to cross the finish line, and Kanakuri was nowhere to be found. He had simply vanished. Race officials tried looking him up, as did his coach and teammate, but he was just gone. So what happened to the miracle runner who was supposed to carry his country to Olympic victory? According to some reports, The intense heat caused him to pass out in a nearby garden. Others claimed that he decided to pay a visit to an outdoor party that was going on. Regardless of the reason, Kanakuri was taken in by a kind Swedish family who fed him, gave him a change of clothes, and a place to sleep for the night. He was despondent over failing his team and his homeland, believing he had disappointed everybody and brought shame to them. He went back to Japan without telling anyone. He didn't even notify the race officials that he had returned, the Swedes started telling stories about the lost runner, how he was like a ghost looking for the finish line that would never come. And in a way, that was true. Shizu Kanakuri was so distraught over not finishing the Olympic race that he never stopped running. He made it his life's mission to restore honor to both himself and Japan by doing what he did best. And that meant teaching, founding other long-distance races, and building up a national interest in the sport. He also got women involved as well, And made an effort to train blind students by letting them guide themselves using a string tied from the starting line to the finish. Kanakuri was all about inclusion, but sadly he never finished the race that had given him his start in the first place. And then, in 1967, Shizo got a call from a Swedish journalist. He invited the 76-year-old athlete to finish what he had started all those years ago. Kanakuri went back to Stockholm's Olympic Stadium where 18,000 screaming fans and handfuls of journalists from all over the world watched as he finally crossed the finish line of a race that had started 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds earlier. He was awarded the Guinness World Record for longest time to complete a marathon, after which Kanakuri took a brief detour to visit the home of the family that had taken him in during the original race. The couple, of course, was long gone, but their son now lived there, and he served Kanakuri a glass of orange juice. When asked for a comment on finally completing his race, Kanakuri didn't give an impassioned speech about finishing what you have started, or seeing things through to the end. He simply told the truth. It has been a long race, but then I got myself a wife, six children, and ten grandchildren during it. And that takes time, you know? Curious, to say the least.
2: you <music>